it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And the person we're speaking today is someone who loves talking about beer, as you just heard. This is an archive conversation. COVID is playing havoc with our scheduling, and as I was digging around for a relevant episode that we could perhaps reprise, I found this very old interview with Brewdog's James Watt from September 2011. The episode is referenced in show notes on the site, but the audio seems to have been lost as we've moved hosts over the years. And the audio doesn't seem to be listed anywhere on the site or even in our podcasting stream. So listeners who have joined us more recently have probably never even heard it. It's relevant because we've been joking recently, or perhaps half-joking, about the post-craft world we increasingly inhabit. As craft beer growth slows, the market becomes increasingly crowded, and commercial realities of running a business seem to be ever more stark for many breweries, Some of the battle cries of the early craft beer movement are giving way to what we can perhaps charitably call more pragmatic business decisions. Overnight, the self-proclaimed punks of the beer world, Brewdog, announced a partnership with Asahi in Japan to give their beers greater reach in that market. Asahi, as you know, own CUB in Australia, so it's a very interesting move. When I read that announcement, I recalled James's strident denunciations of Beavertown just three years ago, when that brewery sold a minority stake to Heineken. Back then, James retweeted an earlier blog post that he'd written titled, Nailing Our Colours to the Mother Effing Mast. Apologies, children. There's a link to that blog post in the show notes. And when you read his observations back then, especially in light of last night's announcement, those colours would appear to be terribly faded these days, if they or the mast are actually still there. As we didn't have anything fresh, and it's a relevant topic for now, it seemed a good episode to go back and revisit and see where craft beer has come from over the last 10 years. We'll be back with fresh content next week, and of course, discussing the news of this week, this Thursday. Enjoy this trip down memory lane. Now speaking to James Watt, who is the man behind, one of the two men behind Brewdog. He's recently been in Australia and uh, done a bit of a grand tour, the sleepless grand tour of Australia during Good Beer Week, and he's a, uh, we're keen to hear his observations. So James Watt, welcome to Radio Brews News. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. It's much more fun than uh, trying to fix the bottle machine, which was what I was doing 10 minutes ago. No. And thanks for going now, by the way. You, you didn't lose a spigot in the top of it and have to go through 3,000 bottles of beer the way that they did on uh, the Dogfish Head documentary? Uh, no, we didn't. Not this time. Now, James, just tell us a little bit about uh, Brewdog. Uh, wh- where have you come from? Uh, where have you been? And uh, where are you going? Uh, well, I set the business up with, uh, with Marathon in 2007 and we basically couldn't find any beers that we liked in the UK so we decided the best thing to do was start making our own beers and the UK beer scene is completely dominated by the industrial, generic, monolithic, faceless corporations that make such kind of goddamn awful, fizzy, yellow, insipid, liquid, cardboard masquerading as beer and 
so many people think in the UK that's what beer is. And the UK has got now, a real, real... stop you there? <laughs> could, could I just stop you there? Because, you know, we like to pride ourselves as being a, uh, a website with opinions. So, you know, don't hide what you think. <laughs> we really want to know what you think about these things. Don't hold back, James. Yeah. <laughs> I would. <laughs> yeah, and at the other end of the spectrum in the... In the UK, there's a lot of small beer companies, but they tend to be so stuffy, so traditional, so old-fashioned in terms of the beer styles they make, how they market, how they promote themselves. So we just really didn't like the beer scene in the UK. So we got some, uh, we got some bank loans, we got some second-hand stainless steel tanks, and we, we started making some exciting, full-flavor, hardcore beers. And our biggest goal when we set up the company. And it's still their biggest goal today is just to make other people as passionate about great craft beer as we are and have some fun. Did you have a background in beer before you set up Brewdog? Uh, no, I was a captain of a North Atlantic fishing boat. But I had been making beer at home and Martin has a, has a background in beer. So you can you can call me a Captain James if you want. <laughs> Maybe you should. So, so, it, so, so, so that's your suit that you're wearing in most of the Brewdog uh, documentaries or the docu- the videos that you've shot. Yeah, it's either Captain or Penguin or a nice mix of them both. <laughs> for for that, just and, for those Matt who uh, who who are unfamiliar with Brewdog's work, uh, if you don't get a firm idea of what Brewdog is all about by listening to this episode of Radio Brews News, then I encourage you to get onto the Brewdog website, hit the bit down the bottom there, where have, have a look through, find the, the V-blogs and the videos. Uh, watching a couple of those will give you a fair idea of, uh, of, of the ethos um, and the thinking behind Brewdog and the way that they really don't take beer very seriously at all, uh, except when it comes to actually brewing it. James, you, you, you hit the scene and very quickly established a reputation. Um, you, you've caught a bit of controversy in your time. Yeah, we have. A few of the beers that we made um, have definitely caused a huge amount of controversy from our 18% Imperial Stout Tokyo. After that, we made a 32% beer called a Tactical Nuclear Penguin, which at the time was the strongest beer that had ever been made by a, a human or indeed a, a penguin, but Shortly after that, some uh, some pesky sausage munchers from the fatherland of, of of Germany made a stronger beer, so it was kind of caught up in this kind of Scottish German battle to to make the strongest beer in the in the planet. So we came back with a forty one percent IPA, a quadruple IPA, um, and cheekily called it then um, Sink the Bismarck, which the which the Germans didn't like. They then made a stronger beer. We wanted to do something to kind of end this uh, Scottish-German battle once and for all, but also to do something that challenged people's perceptions about what beer is, how it can be enjoyed, how it can be served. Beer has been being made now for 10,000 years. In the last two years in the northeast of Scotland, we've made the strongest beers the planet have ever seen. So with our 55% beer, we wanted to do something epic with the packaging. And we also wanted to fuse the, the three things that we're most passionate about, which is uh, beer, art, and taxidermy, so that the 55% beer came packaged inside a squirrel. And we're all familiar with the uh, controversy that caused, but quite apart from the beers that you've done, you, you haven't been averse to um, taking a stick and hitting the, uh, the, the beehive by yourselves. When you released Tokyo, you caused a bit of uh, controversy by essentially dobbing yourselves in, didn't you, uh, um, about the labelling? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the UK beer scene, I mean, it's so staid, it's so stuffy, it, it, it's old-fashioned, it's traditional, it's conservative, and 
people don't understand beer, so we think by kind of doing things which is a bit controversial, a bit provocative, if we unsettle some stuff for the old institutions and rattle the cages of some of the incumbent companies, we can get some publicity, but this publicity is just a great way for us to get our ideas about beer across. It gives us a platform to let people see that beer doesn't have to start with Heineken and end with Stella or start with VB and end with Foster's or something. Just let people see a different side of beer. So we have caused controversy, but we've caused the controversy because we want to open up a debate and let people see a different side of beer. Yeah, I, what I was alluding to before was the um, when you launched Tokyo, which was uh, 17% from memory, um, you also had uh, on the label moderation in all things, including moderation. And there was a complaint made to the uh, industry watchdog about all things alcohol in the UK. They investigated it and they ended up banning the label, And if, if my um, summary is correct. Um, yes, yes, they did, and uh, we've got a kind of long done in history with the point we do the first beer we ever made, Punk IPA, they took an action out to ban when we were two months old as a company, so uh, that action eventually got reversed, but the thing that we did with Tokyo was just to show people how stupid the system was at the Port Moves Group, which is a unelected, unregulated body can decide what you can and what you can't sell in the in the UK. The Port Moves Group are, they received their funding from the big companies, the InBevs, the SAB Millers, the Diageos of this planet, so they've got a vested interest in making sure that small, up-and-coming companies like, like our one are not successful, so we just wanted to kind of show how corrupt and uh, disingenuous the entire system was and we thought the best way to do that was to complain about our own beer. I, I should just explain that, uh, yeah, you, uh, you you lodged your own complaint and their rules are that if a complaint's lodged that they have to investigate it. So you complained about your own labelling, they investigated it and then banned your label. Yes, they did. In, in doing that got you a uh, some very uh, helpful coverage for a, a young brewing company. Yes, that as well. <laughs> so it was also a point out how silly the system was that by getting a beer banned it becomes... Um, so much more appealing, so much more exciting, and the kind of whole punk uh, ideology and philosophy that our company has just gets kind of more interested in the kind of mindset and stuff. So yeah, it was a, I thank them for their help. Now, it's that sort of thing that you know has seen you criticised by just about everyone in the world of beer, but recently on your Twitter account that I'll uh, shout out, at BrewDogJames, for anyone that wants to follow him. Uh, follow me. You, you, <laughs> you, 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 you tweeted something recently uh, that I'll read out because I thought it was you know, both very, very insightful and I thought it was probably the best and most concise summary of your approach to marketing and uh, um, the way that you portray yourselves. And that was to say, uh, marketing now taints every field of our existence. One has little choice but to play the game bitterly and with a firm shield of irony. Was that your own, uh, your own words? Yeah, and, 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 it, and it's what we're... What we're about as a as a company, I mean, you have to you have to play the game, but then we want to play the game by our own rules, and at the same time, just accepting how stupid the game is. And, and big companies spend so much money on advertising, marketing. It's got nothing to do with the beer at all. It's all this kind of lifestyle centric rubbish. So at least what we do, although it's a bit controversial, a bit edgy, it's all about the beer itself, and that's what we that's what we're excited and passionate about as a as a company. And we've got a lot of messed up stuff in our heads, so the kind of the marketing side of things provides a, a good outlet for that. <laughs> you've, you've got to do what you do well. 
Yes, indeed. <laughs> I should be back in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I guess leading to that, does, does the, the crazy stuff that you do, the attention-seeking uh, stuff that you engage in, does that lead to better beer or just lead to you guys being better known? No, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hell of exciting to be able to do things which takes innovation in beer to places where it's never before been. So the things like Sink the Bismarck, that's a... It's an India Pale Ale, which is maybe the most evocative beer style of the, the craft beer movement that has the same alcohol content as a vodka, as a, as a whiskey, as a, as a gin. But we, we, we also wanted to make sure it had all the classic IPA hallmarks. So this beer is hot to hell. You get the kind of the bust malt base. We, um, we ice hop it. So as opposed to dry hopping it, we ice hop it. So when we're freeze distilling this beer, when we're taking it down to minus 40 degrees Celsius, the beer is, uh, the beer is loaded and loaded with hops. And it just gives it an insane amount of kind of flavour and aroma and the hops just explode out of the glass at you. So it's kind of very cool that it's, uh, it is most definitely a IPA, so it's not a gimmick, it's not a spirit, it is a IPA that has 40% alcohol. I haven't been lucky enough to try the, uh, the, the the most recent one, but I tried Tactical Nuclear Penguin and Sink the Bismarck, and, you know, I, to, to be honest, I describe them as the sort of beers that were uh, experiences, if not, you know, though perhaps not pleasures. Um, is that <laughs> what you were shooting for, or is it, it you know, it, I, I, in fact, I describe them as being a little bit like abseiling, um, you know, <laughs> something that you're pleased that you've finished. Um, People but, uh, enjoy abseiling. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some people like that adrenaline rush, and you know, you, you, you catering. And I've had a lot of people that tell me that they've really enjoyed it. Yeah. But you know, how much of uh, those sorts of beers are really about creating the name and the legend in, in order to sell the five AM Saints and the uh, you know punk IPAs and and, and the seventy seven lagers? I mean, for, for us, as as silly as it sounds, it has never been about sales this whole thing is completely selfish we make beers that we want to drink ourselves we call them things that we think cool and then whatever else happens happens so we don't do something because we, we think it'll sell we do something because we like it and, it, and it's what we would uh, what we'd buy ourselves so i'm not concerned at all about what what size our company is we're not trying to sell x amount of beer we're not trying to hit x amount of targets all we want to do is make beers that we love make them in, in the way that we want to make them and put them out there and whatever the consumer decides, the consumer's going to decide. So, yeah, it, it's, it's all just about making beers that we want to enjoy ourselves. And um, after after dinner, I uh, I love having a 41% IPA, so we make one. Fair enough. <laughs> Look, I, I have to say that there's a bit of a, a cynic in me, and I hear you say that you don't care how big you are and those sorts of things, but you could make the beers that you love on a homebrew kit uh, just privately for yourselves. So th th there's got to be a little bit of a... Uh, no, no, we, 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 we want to sell them, definitely. We want to sell them if people want to, as long as people want to, to buy them, we're going to keep on making more, but it's not about hitting a target. We're not going to, once we can reach... The, the point where demand meets supply, I mean, we're going to be happy to level out of that. We're not going to then try and do things to, to push and compromise what we're about as a company. So obviously we want to do our business, but at, at the same time, it, it, it's all about the beers, beers for us. And it's um, the, the beers that's going to dictate ultimately where we end up as opposed to the business objectives. Just on that, James, at last count, you were doing it around about, and correct me if I'm wrong, 30,000 hectolitres per year. 
Um, I think around about 5% of that ends up over here in Australia. Where does the other 95% go? Where, where are your big markets? Uh, we sell about 50% of what we do in the UK. Um, Scandinavia is a fantastic market for us, especially Sweden. The whole staff beer thing in Sweden is uh, going from strength to strength at the moment. But then North America, so USA and Canada as well. So is, is it fair to say that the locals have not quite sort of either got what you're doing or, or they haven't embraced it as yet? Or would yeah, you I mean, say it's, the UK? It's, 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 quite, it's quite weird. I mean, the UK people either love it and are is kind of dedicated and evangelical about the whole thing as we are, or they just don't get it at all. So there's kind of <laughs> quite extreme, a very small percentage of people get it and love it, and other people are just uh, callously indifferent to the whole thing. And would you lump um, a, a group such as Camera in that last category? I wouldn't lump them in any category. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> I think Camera is single-handedly responsible for holding back innovation in British beer in the last 40 years. The Scottish Beer Festival, organised by Camera, the kind of showpiece of the Scottish Scottish beer community, if, if, if you will, um, I went, I, I stayed there for about half an hour. 92% of the beers was either a mild, a bitter, or a golden ale between 45 and 5.5%. So over 90% of the beers with three styles, if you go to the, <clears throat> the Great American Beer Festival, there was over 150 styles of beer that were stylistic diversity, beers across wide flavour spectrums, different ABVs. But in, in, in the UK, you just don't get that, and I, I completely lay fault at the, at the feet of camera for doing that, but also I think they give beer a bad image in the UK. It's it's um, kind of weird old guys with ponytails, leather waistcoats that hang out at train stations at the weekend. They have bagpipes, <laughs> they have modernist dancers. It's just not going to get young people excited and engaged about about beer. And then the beers, it's something like the Scottish Beer Festival or even the kind of the the, the great British Beer Festival. It's all kind of all fundamentally boring, kind of steady, down ales with just a kind of handful of fuggles or goldens in it. So not kind of excite and full flavour, aggressive beers, which are what we like to make. You got nothing good to say about them. You don't recognise the role that they played in at least uh, you know, providing a bit of a retaining wall against the, in, the, the the total encroachment of the brewing industry by the uh, multinational brewers. Here, I, I should say something good about them. They did some. Uh, they did some good work in the 1970s, but sadly they haven't changed since. <laughs> Fair enough. Now tell us a little bit about the the, the, the most recent uh, controversy. Uh, you were going to go to the Great British Beer Festival that I believe starts soon, um, in in the next day or so. Today? Um, but started there was today, some mate. problem. Yeah. started today, um, and, and you're obviously not there. Okay, um, tell us a little bit. <laughs> There's been a bit of a, a he said, she said about who did uh, who did what. Can you tell us uh, your side of the story? Yeah, I mean, I mean, not, not to get into the details, and there's our deadlines which we paid, and they said they didn't pay, but, but fine. But the, the, the structure of the matter came down to the fact that their arbitrary distinction that they imposed to try and define what beer is no longer makes sense. Beer production methods have moved on so much from the 1970s. No longer does something have to be filtered and pasteurized or contain enough yeast for re-fermentation. So there's now a kind of middle way that, that we use that can all the good stuff brewers in the U.S. use, and that's a lightly filtered beer which still contains 
some yeast, probably not enough for secondary fermentation, but there's there's yeast in there, it's slightly filtered, and that kind of enables it to maintain the taste and the and the flavour, the mouthfeel, the aroma. That's what we do with our bottle beers, that's what we do with our keg beers, but this confuses the hell out of these guys. They don't kind of accept that beer can be made in, in this way, so they're trying to kind of impose their arbitrary distinctions and they came down to saying well you can take your beers with you and we're going to test it on site with a lab and if there's less than one million yeast there till millimeter we're not going to like serve them you're just thinking for goodness sake there's customers there's people paying money to go there and drink good beer and your, your definition is it can taste as awful and boring as you want but as long as it's got, it's got, it's got more than one million yeast cells per milliliter and you can serve it you could have something that tastes amazing but if it doesn't have that much yeast in it, you're not going to let people taste it. It's just so imposing these arbitrary distinctions. For me, there's one distinction that you need to impose in beer. It's between beer that's brewed for volume and beer that's brewed for taste. And any beer that's brewed for taste, I would define as craft beer and I would wholly endorse. And any beer that's brewed for volume, no. But, I mean, that, that, they're trying to impose distinctions which, which no longer make sense and the whole thing is just, just silly. But I guess that's um, one of the age-old questions, uh, or at least one of the modern age-old questions, if that's not a, too much of a contradiction. It's a bit of a juxtaposition. You've let yourself Yeah, out. it is. But you, you, you see the angst that they've gone through in the States defining craft beer, and we're very much going through that problem now. And, uh, you know, can a craft brewery produce a, uh, you know, like a, a, a lighter-flavoured lager with and, and still keep their credentials? Um, it, it's very, very difficult to define a beer that is brewed for flavour um, you know, the, the Germans have some terrific lagers that are all malt and uh, designed to be drinkable um, but do they fall into the brewed for flavour camp or the non-brewed for flavour camp um, you know, it, it's very hard to look into the heart of a brewer and tell what their intention is yeah, but I guess, I guess what doesn't make any sense at all is to have an amazing beer which maybe just doesn't have quite enough yeast in the, in the vessel in which it's served and not let people taste it. I mean, that distinction, I mean, there's, there's an argument about what the distinction should be, but it definitely shouldn't be the distinctions that they're using. Yeah. And uh, you, you've recently uh, travelled down here and uh, you had a couple of very, very sleepless nights. Um, <laughs> amidst all the jet lag, did you try some beers that you liked? Yeah, it was... Uh, it was very cool. I just struggled to get on to um, Australian time with the jet lag all the time I was down there. I was down for five days, so I was kind of fueled by a mixture of beer, hops, and coffee, which is uh, which is always fun. <clears throat> yeah, some some uh, great Australian beers. I mean, I had some uh, little features paleo on the Qantas flight on the way down, which is much better than the um, beer that any British Airways flight service over in Europe, so it was good to get some beer in the plane, and then uh, you got that like, on. You got that on Qantas, did you? Little creatures pile out. Yes, I was excited. It in a bottle or in a can? It was in a bottle. There you go. I didn't know that you could do that. Um, we can't. <laughs> well, yeah, we can't get it. We certainly can't. Get it. So uh, you, you must have been travelling up the front end of the plane. Uh, no, <laughs> there's not that much money in beer. <laughs> I was going to say, it certainly would undermine your uh, uh, brewing for punks if you were. Yeah. So that's, um, uh, that's a bit, that's a bit, that's a bit off the way that we, uh, that we make. Um, yeah, for now, when I was down in, in Australia, the, the Stone and Wood Pacific Guild was the first time I'd been exposed to the Galax Top, which I loved. So we're uh, trying to get our hands in some Galaxy and maybe make a single hop IP with it. Um, the Feral beers as well, this 
very good. But just to see the kind of craft beer culture emerging in in Australia, Australia, especially in Melbourne, so many good places to, to to go and drink good beer. The guys at the local tap house down in St Kilda was amazing, and places like the Josie Bones, which is just opening and doing great things. Um, great things paired in beer and food together and so much more consumers are just getting excited about beer with uh, with great flavours. I think it's a it's a good time to be making good beers in Australia and even at the other end of the spectrum, places like First Choice and, and Dan Murphy's now have a great staff beer lineup so it's easy for people to go in and, and find good beers, which is uh, always exciting. It's interesting to hear you say that because they're uh, our equivalent of, I guess, Tesco's or something like that, the big supermarkets, and, and, and we love to hate them for the same reasons that they're you know, you know, big corporate. I, I shouldn't say that, but you know, what we do, they, uh, they, they tend to stifle the smaller independent bottle shops. Um, so it's interesting to hear that as an outsider, you were amazed by the selection that they had. They certainly stock your beers, I guess. Maybe that's why I was amazed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we should we should give it a, give a bit of a shout out to Neil from uh, Hop and Spirit, who is is James's uh, distributor over here in Australia, and make sure that all those fans of Brewdog beers out there are uh, are catered for. So good day, Neil. Absolutely, good day, Neil, and uh, well done for bringing the beers over here. Good day, Neil. Now, uh, mate, what have you got in the in the works? Have you got anything interesting uh, being developed in the brew tanks? What's that? Stupid question, is it not? <laughs> of course, it's well, it, 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 it's actually leading you to tell us what they are, not not so much whether you are. <laughs> um, oh, I'm pathetical. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what are we? What are we up to at the moment? We're making the first. Um, hmm. I don't think I can say too much here. I think you're best. You're best ah, okay. to, um, yeah. <laughs> here's me hoping. For, here's me hoping for the big scoop, international. Uh, <laughs> we, we won't tell anyone. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're always up to some uh, unusual, idiosyncratic, um, slightly unusual things over over here. So you're best just to to watch the blog and anything that we do is always announced there first. In the blog, we've got, and like I said, videos and, and new things go up on there every day. So it's the best way to to keep in the loop with uh, what we're up to. Maybe you'd better give give us the uh, blog address so people know where to go. It is www.cameraareawesome.com. I did there. It's a joke. <laughs> um, the website we, 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 is uh, <laughs> um, www.ilovefosters.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link to it. Hey, James, just, uh, speaking of um, uh, you know innovation and that sort of thing, now you you guys you've you've put beers in uh, in barrels, you've aged them, and all those sorts of things. You've frozen them, you've done this, that, and the other. You've you've stuffed them into small woodland creatures. Uh, How's how's the new beer going? The one that you um you aged uh, on a concrete floor in the in the brew house. Did that? How, how's that going along? <laughs> um, that was that was the saddest day of, of 2011 so far. We lost a, a whole tank of uh, five dm feet, so equivalent to about twenty thousand bottles. When a carbonisation stone popped out of a tank, it smelled amazing for days, but it still didn't make up for the sadness of, uh, of losing that much beer, and we're kind of up against it at the moment in terms of capacity, which just uh, which just made it worse. Yeah, that wasn't a, that wasn't a fun day. Yes. I, I should say that that was supplied by a, a, a listener, 
Um, also, when we uh, tweeted that we were speaking to you, we had a lot of inquiries about uh, equity for punks and whether that was elig- whether Australians were eligible to invest. Um, yes, um, Australians can invest in equity for punks now in the prospectus document. It says that they can't. Now we legally have to say that they can't. Um, it's been fully approved and authorised by the FSA in the UK. It's been authorised by the European Union, but because it hasn't been authorised explicitly by the Australian financial institutions. We have to say in the document that you can't invest, but if the individual investor is happy that the UK financial services have done a robust enough job in checking everything, if they're satisfied themselves in doing so, then they can invest, but they just have to be aware that it hasn't been signed off in Australia, but it's gone through full um, legal verification in the UK with everything audited, etc. So, yeah, Australians can, can most definitely invest. They can just go to the website and for £95, which I think is the equivalent to about £5 million Australian dollars or something. Not yeah. anymore, my uh, friend. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe £200 Australian dollars and they can pay with a, a debit card and a credit card and they can actually buy a stake in, in, in a company, so it's a completely alternative type of business model where the people who enjoy the beers that we make can uh, can own part of a company. And we didn't want to go to the banks to, to raise money. We wanted to involve people who enjoy the beers um, in the future growth of our company. So everyone who invests will actually become better off financially with every punk IPA bottle that they that they drink, which is uh, quite a cool thought. Now, just explain that to me, because you, you say that it's a completely different financial model, but tomorrow yeah. I could uh, wander down to the ASX and you know, in, invest the same amount in uh, Carlton and United Brewers, who are Australia's uh, makers of Fosters. Um, what, what makes investing in BrewDog different to just going down and buying a couple of shares in Fosters? Yeah, of, of, of course. Um, what, what is different is the fact that we're a three-and-a-half-year-old company, so... Um, it's, it's, I think it's the first time a beer company are small, um, as small as we are and as young as we are have raised money in this way. Now, obviously, the kind of big industrial companies have done it, but they've been going for, they've been going for decades. They're kind of massive, they're massive corporations. And I mean, they're not going to grow that much. They're maybe going to grow 5%, 10%. We've grown at 100% year on year. It's a chance to buy in a company at a stage where usually the only people that can buy into companies this young are venture capitalists or angel investors, so it's a chance for people to buy in a quickly growing three-year-old company by investing. You also entitle yourself to um, lifetime discounts in our online shop, lifetime discounts in our bars if you guys ever make it over to Scotland or if we ever manage to open one uh, open one down there. Invitations to our AGM, the chances to vote on kind of key decisions online, so we're also giving people a involvement in, in what we do as well which you don't get with a conventional investment. You, you had me at discount. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you've also recently opened uh, a couple of bars in the UK. Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, well, we've got a bar now in Aberdeen and Edward and Glasgow. So most of the bars in the UK, they're owned by the big beer companies. They're owned by... Scottish Newcastle, by Waverley TBS, by Belhaven, by Tenants, whatever. So you walk into 90% of the buyers in the UK and they get the same choice as four rubbish beers. So we wanted to we wanted to open a bar that just focused on serving the best possible beers that we could get our paws on with staff, which were passionate and knowledgeable about good beer and just to give people a place to go to 
enjoy the best the best beers on the planet. So we've got our beers, we've got Three Floyd, Stone, McKellar, Neil Smith, we've got some eight wire from New Zealand. We haven't quite got Australian beers yet, but there's a few that I would uh, that I'd like to get in there. And it's and it's just it's just all about the beer and the kind of we've done it up in a in a budget so it's kind of quite industrial quite warehousey to reflect where we make the beers but we've kind of spent all the money in the beers that we serve as opposed to fitting out the bars and they've been a, they've been a lot of fun and they've been doing well for us so far which is uh, which is good so if any of you guys make it over at the UK I would uh, recommend coming coming by one of our bars. Absolutely. Well, Pete Brown, uh, who has been critical of you in the past, has get, certainly gave you the big thumbs up this week. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Pete. And uh, do you have any plans to take them further afield and open them overseas and maybe even Australia one day? Um, possibly. At the moment, we've got one which is opening soon in London, that's in Camden, and also one in Manchester. So we want to open a few more in the UK, but longer term, uh, who knows? And I guess uh, I enjoyed my time in Melbourne so much, that would be high up on the hit list if we're looking to do something overseas. Uh, James, I wanted to speak to you a little bit about, uh, I've been reading at the moment, uh, Sam Caligione's, uh book, the, the guy behind uh, Dogfish Head, and there, there seem to be there seem to be some some parallels between, I guess, his 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 philosophy, his life work uh, brewing philosophy that, that there is to yours. And one quote that I pulled out was that he was talking about the the school, the progressive school that he went to, and he said it instilled in him that the punk rock. DIY work ethic. Now, now over here, I guess, you know, like punk rock came and went. Um, we, we got into post-punk sort of almost before punk was sort of, well, it was still going. So it, it was, it was a little bit sort of quick, but, uh, the initial impression that most people have is, is that punk is more about sort of anarchy and, and sort of not, uh, you know, caring about anything. Whereas I guess Sam and yourself sort of talk more about when you talk about punk, it's kind of like that. Uh, like Sam says, it's the, the DIY work ethic. It's, it's almost like, well, the, the only impediment to your success is, is thinking that it's an impediment or, or treating it as, as if you, you can't sort of hurdle it. Um, but then going at it and if you fail, you fail. But if you, if you win, it's, it, it's all the sweeter. Is that sort of a, I guess in, you know, in a nutshell, is that, is that kind of explain the, the, the brew dog punk ethic? To, to a certain extent, but I, mean, I think our punk ethic is that um, we see our beers as a modern-day rebellion against beers which are bland, insipid, and mass-produced. So we like to think the beers that we make in our company has the same attitude towards the incumbents of the beer market as the original punks had to pop culture. So that's kind of how we define punk and see punk in our context. Fair enough. The the um, for those who, who who may not know the um, the the latest if you like Brewdog series the IPA is dead series which uh, it, basically identical beers but then made with uh, a single hop addition to each one so creating four uh, different flavored beers based on the same um, base structure if you like um, do you see that as sort of as perhaps something that you you'd look at. At, at doing again in the future. You've mentioned before about uh, hoping to get a hold of some galaxy uh, hops. And also, do you think that that kind of, not that we want to associate ourselves in any way, shape or form with the wine industry, but do you think that will kind of, I guess, break down that barrier that, you know, wine, can, uh, that beer can embrace varieties and, uh, you know, that sort of thing like wine does? Yeah, well, we, um, the IP is dead was uh, first single hop IP, same base beer, uh, we use Nelson Seven from New Zealand, Sriracha Ace, which is a hop of Japanese origin. 
an American hop and resembles a sauce of English hops, so four hops from four different continents. And IPA is dead, something that we intend to make every year. So 2012, we're also going to do a limited release of IPA is dead, hopefully with some uh, some galaxy in there. So it's something we're going to do on an ongoing basis. Hops are so important to what we do. We love using hops, and we use hops at every single stage of the process. So we use loads of hops in the kettle, but we also use loads and loads of hops post-fermentation and just imparts the kind of huge hoppy aroma that explodes out the glass with so much of our beers like Hardcore and, and 5M St. Punk. It's those dry hops and the kettle hops kicking in the palate. You get the kind of assertive bitter zip and the kind of hot flavours kind of hammering themselves into your tongue. And with something as hoppy as Hardcore, our double IP almost kind of scrapes the hot resins across your palate. It's kind of punishingly bitter, but at the same time, it's encapsulatingly hoppy. And, and we just love making double IPAs. And, People don't kind of seem to know and understand hops, and a lot of the tastings and stuff I do, I'll ask ask someone, can you can I name me some wine grape varieties? And I can, and, and these are beer people, and most of them can't name any any hops. They don't know the difference between a kind of high alpha American hop, a softer European hop, a kind of fruity, zesty, tropical kind of New Zealand hop and stuff. So yeah, we love. Um, hops and doing something like IP is there uh, just gets people thinking about hops in a slightly different way, kind of picking up flavours. But again, not as pretentious as the whole wine thing, which we don't like, but in a more kind of fun, laid back way. So yeah, we love hops and we're definitely going to do IP is there again because it was a, a lot of fun. I can't speak for everyone, but I'll, I'll keep drinking them. <laughs> <laughs> you keep making them and I'll keep drinking them. Realistically, uh, yeah, as, as craft beer grows, how far do you think it can go? Um, and, and I asked that looking at uh, when I was in Melbourne for Good Beer Week, I was at the Victoria Markets, which are the home of you know any sort of gourmet produce, exactly you know all of the things that are the uh, gourmet equivalent of craft beer. And you walk outside, and people can have any type of great food that they want. And there is a big ass McDonald's just outside the door. And the fact that a McDonald's can survive so close to great food on tap makes me weep uh, for civilization. But do you, you know, how far do you think craft beer can go and you know, what sort of percentage market share do you think it can ever achieve? Well, at the moment, it's a fantastic time to be making craft beer and more and more people becoming aware of what they consume, not just in terms of beer, but of food. More and more people becoming um, disillusioned with products which are mass market, which are generic which are made by big companies and these are things that uh, that staff can take advantage of more and more people getting into kind of taste and flavour you see it in food and it's happening in wine it's obviously going to extend to beer and I think the, the more people know and understand understand beer the more people get to become disillusioned with and um, disregard industrial beer. So what I think the challenge for the craft beer community is we're not we're not selling a, a, a product here, we're selling information, we're selling education, we're selling an alternative and because it is so different to what dominate the market and the mass marketing campaigns of big companies have conditioned people to think that beer has to be kind of tasteless, insipid, bland, full of additives, preservatives, pasteurised to within an inch of its life. And, and people believe that, but as drafters, if we can start unpicking that and letting people see there is an alternative and why it's better and why it's good to drink something which is artisanal, which is handcrafted by passionate people, I don't think there's a limit at all in what, what draft beer can achieve. So the challenge for us is just 
education and information and the better we can do that the, the more market share we can steal from the big companies but you say that i mean I, I, and you know peter and i are two guys that spend our lives trying to convince people that craft beer is the way to go but i also know that uh even with all of the food revolutions uh craft cheese single slices still outsell uh you know great farmhouse matured cheddar um you know, uh, Starbucks outnumber you know really good espresso bars. Will do, do, do you think that craft beer will truly ever you know put a knife to a, a beer like Corona, or people are just going to always enjoy uh, the, the convenience, the uh, you know, price, and the lack of flavour that beers like that offer? No, I think I think um, craft beer can put a knife to the throats of these guys. I think it's going to take a to take a while, but if you see the momentum which staff beer is gaining at the moment, it's phenomenal. And the big industrial brewers are losing market share constantly. So I, I completely believe that, especially in, in the UK, because I know the UK market, I think there's going to be a staff beer revolution in the UK, and we're determined to to redefine what people think about about beer in the UK. And, and that's what we want to do as, as a company, and we completely believe that in maybe 10, 15 years down the line, staff beer's market share could be in excess of what the big industrial companies have. Will that see it uh, jump the shark to uh, to coin a phrase? Jump? We don't get much shark. Oh, you, so you, you're not familiar with the old Happy Days episode where Fonzie jumps the shark? Um, <laughs> you, you, you don't think craft beer will ever go mainstream and in doing so kill it? Um, you know, will, will will punk ever turn into a uh, uh, new wave? Um, no, I mean, I, I haven't got any issue with, uh, with with doing the business as long as we, we kind of stay true to, to what we're about. And I think most of our staff do is the same. Is, is the same. The important thing is that we're making the beers that we want to make in the way that we want to make them. And I think the, the more people that we can expose to our philosophy and, and beer, the better. James, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, you've got uh, bottling machines to, to finish. Thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thank you very much for uh, making some very good beer. And, uh, uh, you know, please keep on keeping on. Cool. Thanks for having me. Uh, the website is, in fact, com. So loads of blogs, loads of videos on there. Um, keep drinking good beer. Be careful. Good night. And God bless America. <laughs> and and Australia, yeah, them too, whatever. <laughs> Our dollar's stronger than the Yanks at the moment, so that's uh, right. Stick with us. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, James. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for your time, time James. Appreciate it. Peace out. Bye. And that was James Watt from 2011. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. We thank Cryomalt for sponsoring this episode of Beer as a Conversation that I think was recorded even before they came on to sponsor us very early on in the piece. Don't forget, if you're a listener, you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, just search Radio Brews News in Facebook and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show, reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, and we can't overestimate how much good that does in helping others find the podcast. And you can email us with suggestions, observations, uh, not-to-be-attributed comments, or other thoughts 
at producer at bruisenews.com.au. Thank you for joining us.